Are you sheltering in place, isolated, feeling alone? <coughs> well, then you're just like us. Hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the quarantined hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Shut-In, the Soundcast stimulus package featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And now, here's your host for this episode, Mark Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. Hello, friendo. Mark Hershon here to host Epi 243 of Suckatash Shut-In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package. By the look of things, fingers crossed, masks still on, and socially distanced yet, things in the U.S. of A. are sort of showing signs of getting, dare I say it, post-pandemic ready. Maybe. Who knows? People were burning their masks in Idaho last weekend in some bizarre freedom ritual, which was very reminiscent of the exact same activity that happened right here in San Francisco back around 1918 when they thought the Spanish flu might be tapering off. Well, that didn't go so well, and things actually got worse, but we will hope for the best, and you never know. Maybe mask smoke will be as effective as the scientifically developed vaccines in knocking this thing down. My main point of bringing up the current state of affairs is that as the pandemic eases, me and my every other weekly co-host Tyson Saner may be restoring this soundcast to some semblance of normal. As you may know, the 10th anniversary of this show is just a month away in April. And if we feel the spirit move us, we're likely to be restoring the original title of Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, to its rightful spot. Although, actually, the real original title was Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. But we ditched the P word for the Soundcast moniker a couple of years in, and that's who we are, damn it. If you have anything to say on the matter, whether it's about our decade anniversary or the impending title change, or anything else, you can write us at either Mark, M-A-R-C, at SuckatashShow.com, or Tyson, T-Y-S-O-N, at SuckatashShow.com, or hit us up on the socials. Or call our toll-full warm line at 818-921-7212 and leave us a message. Speaking of Tyson, if you missed his most recent installment, Epi 242, never fear. It featured clips from the Valley Boys podcast, the Dinner Party Download, and the Record Store Day podcast. Hooray! You can still catch it up at Spotify, Stitcher, Apple or Google Podcasts, the Laughable app, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or even on our own damn website, our home site, SuckatashShow.com. But let's go ahead and get into now mode, as in what I have in store for you today, right here. I'm calling episode 242, Soundcast and Friends. And while admittedly we call a lot of Soundcasters friends, I pulled out a quartet of clips from some of the ones that recently popped into my mind, either because they reached out directly or I heard them talking about me, or in one case, I'm actually in the the clip. Yes, I am that shallow. The shows in question are Chill Pack Hollywood, Screams and Moans, Waking from the American Dream, and the Four Corners Podcast. Now, that last one actually features a friend of the show who was a guest on Four Corners, but eh, it's a technicality. In addition, this show is sponsored by the Massagopedic Trousers by Henderson's Pants. Enough. Let's get started. Okay, if you know our show, then you know this show, the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, hosted by Dean Haglin and Phil Lairness. Listening to Chill Pack was one of the inspirations for me to start up Succotash in the first place, and the guys were my first interview outside of Studio P. 
We even had a couple of years run where we were trying to get a real old-fashioned feud going to try and get some press, but eh, it never came together. I was recently honored to be asked to be part of a little comedy roundtable on a two-part episode of Chill Pack along with Dean and the thoughtful, insightful, and wickedly funny Suli McCullough. Phil was moderating, and we talked about our comedy influences, how we got started performing, and a variety of other topics. In this clip, we hit on improv, the San Francisco International Stand-Up Comedy Competition, and Suli's high school specialty, the dumb joke of the day. Improv is truly getting a reaction from, by surprise. The mm -hmm. audience doesn't, there's no setup punchline in improv. It's just sheer, what's the next funny thing that's gonna, gonna happen? And it's a truthful thing. But when you're a comedian, you make sure it's funny because that's just in your blood. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a craft at that point, right? To, yeah. it, both of them are craft, but with the improv, it's, it is always surprising. And right. it's, I always say it as a, it's a lean-to, right? So you're depending on the other improvisers say something or, or something random to come in that you work around. Yeah, it doesn't that, happen in a vacuum. It's, it's it a, definitely an ongoing yeah. formula. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, Mark, it's pretty interesting that you uh, were a timer for the San Francisco comedy competition because I competed in that competition one year. Okay. Uh, and uh, what, what year? What year? I don't even remember. It was like the early nineties. Oh. Um, was my that comedy was that the year you were disqualified because you went over time? <laughs> no. That was, I did not go over time, uh, <laughs> but I did. I did withdraw. I I made it past the first round uh, and then had to withdraw because I booked a job mm. and I took the, I took the job. <laughs> so I think there was a conflict and I had to make a decision. So yeah, uh, I just remember really wanting to get into the punchline at that time in a significant way. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the comedy scene up in San Francisco was so uh, I mean, it was nurturing, uh, it, it really did uh, allow you to really explore uh, your ideas. There were some great comics that were headlining those rooms at the time. So it was something, you know, it was definitely, I started in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, even though I was born up in Northern Cal and that's where my roots were. But I felt like I started in LA, got pretty good, then went up to San Fran to, you know, try and try and you know get in where i grew up now obviously you know? i knew you when we would discuss our respective dreams of lives and show business and our creative sure, aspirations sure. uh i did not go to school with you we were uh, very close friends who went to different schools so maybe i'm wrong but i would never have called you a class clown I've always uh, known you to be someone who's very philosophical, very thoughtful, uh, a, a student of whatever interests him, who is also very funny. And well, it's it's interesting that you say that, Phil, because I was I wasn't a typical class clown. I, I call myself a smart class clown <laughs> because I knew how to make the students laugh but then also answer the teacher's question. So <laughs> I played both sides. <laughs> you know, what was the point of getting the laugh if it got you in trouble, you know? <laughs> and and I, I liked having the right answer. 
You know what I mean? So, you know, why not? You know, I figured I, I can split the difference and and win on both fronts. So I, but it's interesting. Like high school was where I was really getting my footing to pursue a career in comedy. I did uh, the morning announcements uh, at my high school, and I would conclude the morning announcements with a dumb joke of the day, and I framed it as a dumb joke of the day. You know, which was pretty smart of me at the time. I didn't realize it, but I was protecting myself from judgment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you call it a dumb joke of the day, you don't take it seriously. You don't put any weight on it. And if it lands, great. If it doesn't, that's fine, too, because it's the dumb joke of the day. Check out the whole roundtable if you want over at chillpackhollywood.com. That's C-H-I-L-L-P-A-K. They drop their episodes weekly on the Odyssey Radio Network at odyssey1.com, and that's spelled O-D-Y-S-Y-1. I don't know why. And remember that you can visit our home site, succotashshow.com, which is spelled S-U-C-C-O-T-A-S-H show.com. I had no idea this episode was going to have a spelling test. You can go to our site for links to all the shows we clip and also most of the hosts, Twitter, and Instagram feeds. How about that? East Coast comedian Lenny Marcus hosts the Four Corners podcast and runs a tight ship. Four topics, 15 minutes per topic. Very tight. A recent guest on the show was Barry Wontraub, a very funny political comedian and a friend of mine for years. He was even my boss at one time, back when I was a stringer, writing for his Comedy USA magazine. He's been back in his native New York for a long time now and was hosting the Schmooze cast out of the comic strip. I'm not sure that's still going. It might be. But with the, I know with the pandemic, he hasn't done any episodes. And as I said, he was just on Four Corners, where he and Lenny yacked about saving money and a little about comedian and former Succotash guest, Rich Scheidner. How much money would you need in your savings account to feel comfortable was the question. And we were like, Neil... If he has 20 grand, he knows he's going to spend it. So basically it's going to be in there, but it's going to be out of there in two seconds. But he's happy with 20 grand in because he knows it's going out. He's going to have a party. It will never make it. So Neil lives at basically zero. My wife said if she had eight grand, she'd feel okay. Or 10 grand, she'd feel okay. But 30 grand, she'd feel like a baller. Oh, thir- sorry. 30 grand, she'd feel comfortable. And 80 grand, she'd feel like a quote unquote baller. And mine is like a hundred three thousand dollars until I even calm down, you know. Um, yeah. Well, you're talking to a guy who still has his first quarter from allowance, and I still have all my bar mitzvah money. <laughs> <laughs> my nickname when I was doing radio was the frugal guy. So I, uh, so- I save. I put it in the freezer. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of, of keeping money in the bank and not spending it all. As opposed to my wife, but then again, she's working in the ER and and she's dealing with COVID every day. So as she spends, I just go, ah, I gotta live with this. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so okay, uh, well, what's the lowest it would be before you start having anxiety attacks? Ah, uh, man. I mean, I'm with you. I, I <laughs> like to keep. I'd like to keep over hundred thousand in a savings bank. I, every day is an anxiety attack. Every day. I mean, it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, yeah, there's nothing but expenses. Yeah. There's nothing it's but expenses. It's so hard. It, and you, you have a child. Yeah. You have to actually feed that human being. It's a nightmare. I find if you feed them, they grow. 
Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So you can eat now, something. Now, building on that, Lenny, do you feel like you have to have cash now on hand? Like, do you keep cash? No, you very rarely. Cash is like, there's nothing left that I need to pay for in cash except for my bagel. You know what I mean? Sunday bagels are about the only thing I whip out You're cash. Not like- Oh uh, no, I have enough. Well, I have a little cash rolling around the house if I need it, like a hundred, two hundred bucks. But it's not. Nobody's unless you're tipping a guy that comes in in an emergency. You don't need cash anymore. Everything's the card. That's one of my jokes. Like, uh, what are these? How are these beggars doing any business now? On the corner, they're like, "You got a quarter?" I'm like, "No, nobody has a quarter. We have those cards." Who's carrying around? Who's carrying around check? Exactly. They got Venmo. Can you Venmo? I'm a homeless guy in the corner. At well, you know, going back to Neil's premise, if all goes to hell, what good is cash going to do? I mean, cans of beans will be more valuable. <laughs> That's if all true. Really <laughs> Neil's going to be uh, in the trading business. Trader Neil's, That's, we'll call it. Um, I want to ask you. Though, Go ahead, Neil. You want to ask him a quick question? Because I got one more question for him. No, no, I was going to say that is true because when I when I first got to the city, I used to volunteer and I give away the cans and on Saturday mornings at the church, and, and I thought I was doing a really good job, but they all started yelling at me if I had the kitty soup cans. They all wanted a <laughs> certain amount of soup and had great treatment, like vegetable soup. You could trade one vegetable soup for like ten things. It was like a whole other market. <laughs> That's where we go and really shit the <laughs> Um. Barry, I want to ask you about one of the interviews you did on ComedyUSA.com. You you do all these interviews with some great old-time comics that, that were huge back when I was, you know, a youngster. I remember this guy, Rich Scheidner. He was, uh, I mean, one, he did this whole bit about Canyon Man. Was that him? And uh, he's this, Yeah, Rich was, he was a legend. I mean, he's still working. He's, he's, thank God, he's still doing well. Yeah, and you had him on the show. Um he was skyrocketing at one point, and they gave him his own show. What is he? Did you ask him about any of that stuff? I'll be honest with you. I did not review that interview. I don't know. I don't recall. I mean, my biggest question for Rich, to be honest with you, was a rumor I'd been hearing. But he had uh, issues. He 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 was an alcoholic. He is an alcoholic, but he's some crazy like thirty years clean or something like that. I don't know the exact number. Um, and uh, he was married to Carol Lever. Oh. And they were both huge, right? Huge in the business, and then you know that marriage broke up, and, and Carol later switched teams and uh, is doing very well with the other side. <laughs> but there was, I had worked a gig, uh, and I don't even remember where it was. And I came into town, and uh, I was young and single, and I was friendly with a lot of the wait staff. And someone there had told me that um, what led to the breakup between Rich and Carol was that. Uh, Rich had been in a few weeks to the gig and then Carol came in a few weeks later and while Carol was hanging out with some waitresses it kind of slipped that some of them had been sleeping with Rich uh. so to be honest with you of, of all the things that I asked him that day and, and he's he was a phenomenal interview I mean you, you really just press go and he went I said Rich I gotta ask you is that true and he said you know what I, things were so foggy in those days it probably was but he, he couldn't really say for sure. <laughs> That's insane. You can get more Four Corners podcast wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. And we will be right back after these important message. 
Hello, friends. Bill Haywatt here for Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers. You know, after a hard day of announcing here at Studio P, there's nothing I like more than to come home to a refreshing interlude with my Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers. Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers are perfect for men and women who, like me, have a job that requires spending long hours on your feet or on your knees. Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers gently massage and stimulate even those hard-to-reach places, providing comfort and release to thighs, calves, ankles, buttocks, and crotchal areas, even as you eat. If you're like me, after an hour or two with Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers, you'll be raring to go and ready for more. And when you start your day with Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers, you're always sure to end it with a happy ending. Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers, made with pride by the same fine folks who brought you the functional breakaway trousers and the ever-so-stylish turtleneck slacks. And they're made with the same fabric that covers official U.S. government restraining tables the world over. Henderson's Massageopedic Trousers, available online and wherever fine pantaloons are sold. And now, back to more of Suckatash. Okay. This is two Soundcast friends at once, neither of whom have I ever met face-to-face. The show is Screams and Moans, hosted by Megan Pentecost, who I only knew for years from her Twitter handle, at Podcast Horror, but who was a very early listener to Succotash, and then went on to start her own jam, to which her logline is, it's the podcast about movies and sex, but not together, because that, that would be porn. She recently had Jason McNamara guesting, a.k.a. Jabs from the D-Head Factor and Boganwood Soundcasts. And if that name is familiar, Jabs was on this very show not too long ago back on Epi 213, uh, which was entitled Doing It Down Under with Jason McNamara. He brought a quartet of clips from Australia and New Zealand for us to enjoy. And uh, just like me, Megan screwed up and forgot to hit record the first time around with Jabs, which is exactly what happened when I had him on. I guess she has picked up a thing or two from listening to this show. Anyway, in this clip, they're talking about the movie Event Horizon. Yeah, it'll be good. But we're here to talk about movies, aren't we? Or a movie in particular. We are. um, We're here to talk about Event Horizon tonight. The Event Horizon. Yes. Classic sci-fi horror. Back in the 90s. You know, I feel though it's a movie I should have watched previously, but this is actually only the second time I've ever watched the film. Well, I guess, I guess, like, if you'd watched it when it first came out, it was kind of groundbreaking because it, you got a it like, was it a horror? Was it a sci-fi? I guess when I went into it and watched it at the cinema, as you do, uh, when, I, when we went in to watch it, they, um, I remember walking out going, holy shit, that is not what I expected. So it's it's that kind of genre of, um, was it a horror or was it a sci-fi? And I guess the movie, I, my honest opinion, I believe that it was a horror, uh, just in a sci-fi setting. Uh, but I think it just kind of blends that genre really, really well. I was going to say, because you think about the whole, you know, space travel and things like that kind of fits the sci-fi genre but the darkness of the message and everything that goes on in this film is definitely aligned with kind of that almost i don't want to say terror but like just 
horror because it's more that for a lot of the movie you don't see anything you just witness different events the, um, uh, his inspiration was Hellraiser so that gives you a nice little glimpse into what his thought process was when he was making the horror aspects of the uh, movie uh-huh. which is quite good and so the um, the movie itself like there's very when you when you go back and uh, you watch obviously Hellraiser and you remember all the ripping and tearing kind of scenes in that you can see that there's a lot of uh, replicated scenes in this for instance the uh, guy that's hanging with his uh, innards hanging out from the sky and he's got all the pins and stuff in it I don't know that was really difficult for me to see or watch um in terms of you know I think everyone has certain scenes in the movie that they feel that way about for me it was that one where he's just kind of uh hanging there and I did read the scene was actually supposed to be much more you know as filmed was more graphic than that so there was supposed to be kind of the backstory that actually he had nightmares about being um why am I blanking out on words because um, <laughs> you, you haven't drunk enough that's the problem it's only ten twenty-four here I have to drink coffee until oh. Josh texts me when if you Josh texts me saying it's beer o'clock then we can drink because you're not an alcoholic if you drinking with someone absolutely I mean, well, technically we could drink together. Does that work or is it because we're not in the same time zone? All right. She's Megan. He's Jab. She's in England. He's in Australia. <laughs> Good to hear both you guys. You can pick up screams and moans from distribution points across the web. Our last clip has a little hair on it because the episode of Waking from the American Dream that I got dropped last November 2020. It was the most recent episode I could find, hosted by yet another friend of this show, Kelly Carlin. It's not exactly a comedy soundcast, but Kelly is witty as hell, and she's also smart and insightful. She's been cooped up just like the rest of the intelligent folks for the past year, and I love what she has to say here about her jigsaw puzzle experience. In order to, you know, in some kind of constructive way, um deal with my anxiety, I let my mind and my kind of my whole psyche delve into these jigsaw puzzles. I don't even know how many we've done. All I know is that about two months ago, I started redoing puzzles, like just started picking ones like I'm going to redo this one because we were now, I, I, you know, I, I think I have 15 puzzles in there, a thousand piece puzzles. And I just, you know, I just love the metaphor of these puzzles, right? You know, I love how psyche, right, our our whole self, both conscious and unconscious mind, always searches for wholeness, searches for equilibrium, searches for some way to be resourced. And mine was about, um, you know, putting the pieces together, putting the pieces together, uh, and, and really noticing how when I first would start the puzzle, you know, you start a puzzle and it's like just chaos, right? Your mind can't wrap anything around it. You're looking at the picture, you know, and you start with the edges. So you start with the border. You start with the boundaries. Like, okay, so where does it begin and where does it end? The edges, which is such a great metaphor for life. Like when we're starting anything, you know, it's like how do we define the space? How do we decide on what? the thing is that we're doing. Sometimes that comes in like a goal. 
So like the puzzles, like the goal, like I know that I'm going to have to fill in the space, <laughs> the empty space are in, the, you know, in the middle of this edge that I have created. But at first you're like looking at all the pieces and they're just, they're not familiar. Your mind hasn't really patterned them yet. It has not come to know them yet and it hasn't sorted through them. And then as the day goes on or the days go on, depending on how often you visit, how often I would visit the puzzle, I would start to see a shift at some point where I could tell my mind was starting to understand what I was looking for. And of course, that starts with the easy thing like, oh, I'm going to focus on the red house, right? Red is bright. I can see the red pieces. It's a house. It's something concrete. It's not sky. It's not that rivery stuff. It's not that endless lawn. <laughs> it's, a, it's a house and my mind can construct that easier. So we kind of look for things that are concrete, brighter, stand out a bit more to kind of focus ourselves on. And then, and then once we've kind of done all those kind of pieces, like, okay, I've got the wagon and I've got the house and maybe, you know, uh, you know, whatever other kind of object is in the space, the bridge, um, you know, then we're faced with these more kind of subtle things that are harder to see. And yet, because we've been staring at the pieces and really looking for them and looking at them, some part of our mind, our unconscious mind, has been cataloging all this. And now is like, oh, that slight subtle blue thing is that part of the forest over there. You know, and like suddenly it, it stands out. So that which was unrecognizable or not clear is suddenly now foreground. And then slowly, you know, it all comes together. And then I always get to a place with the puzzle where it's now maybe sky or grass or river or something like that. And now it's just about shape. I'm no longer looking at color or the actual picture. I've now categorized things into shape. My little OCD brain takes over <laughs> and loves this part, you know. And so there's like the little H's. I call them the little Henry's. And then there's the little funny men, you know. And then there's the four siders. And then there's the four innies. And, and you get all your little pieces, you know. And then, of course, you get these weird puzzles that don't have these kind of normal puzzle pieces. You're kind of screwed with that. But, you know, you kind of try to put it into some sort of organizational thing. And then you can kind of dump it all in there. And piece by piece, you start to fit it together. And, oh. It's just so satisfying. And then there's always that last piece, you know, that last piece, you know, you're going to be done. And there's a little bit of uh, grief that happens with it. That's Kelly Carlin in her soundcast, Waking from the American Dream. And I hope we'll be getting some fresh episodes dropping soon. That's all I've got for you this day, friendo. Tyson Saner will be back in this same feed next week of episode 244 and a batch of new soundcast clips. I plan to return the week after that with an interview instead of clips, but we'll have to see if that comes together. It won't be Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, and that's all I'm going to say. Until we meet again, stay six feet away from trouble. Wash those filthy mitts, mask that ugly mug, and if anyone asks if you heard anything good lately, won't you please pass the succotash? You've been listening to Succotash Shut In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package, with your host, Mark Hershaw. 
Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckAttackShow.com. On iTunes. On Stitcher. On iHeartRadio. On YouTube. On SoundCloud. On the... <laughs> laughable app. And tattooed on your mother's rear end. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Show. Email us at T-Y-S-O-N at SuckAttackShow.com. Or call into the Suck Attach Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcast directly to us using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is still Kenny Durgis. And until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please wash your hands and pass the succotash. Goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.